So, Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We are asking in Jesus' name for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that we might receive from you, Lord, truth, things that would correct us, things that would reprove us, things, Lord, that would instruct us, that we might be complete. We might leave here tonight having received from you, and and there's a work that your Holy Spirit does through the word of God to change the people of God. Change us tonight, Lord. Grant us that we might leave here having heard from you, taking to heart the things that we have heard, that we might turn that into an obedient response. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Hebrews 4, we've been, again, uh, going through this. Greg taught on it. it. was Greg and then Paul, as far as this rest. So I look at this, in this passage in this chapter with two things. We, are, we who are believing do enter his rest. So that's verses 1 through 10. We who are believing do enter his rest. And secondly, and this is, I think, the crux of it, that, that the writer is taking us to, we who are receiving do enter his rest. So we who are believing and we who are receiving. Now, when we get to that second part, 11 through 16, we who are receiving, there are three things that we need to continually receive because God is always the initiator. We are the responders. I think that is key to, to understanding what we are about in our relationship with God. God is the initiator. We are the responders. So God is always giving us opportunities in many different ways, and then we respond to him, and when we respond to him in obedience, God then blesses every time. So a lot of times the, the obedient part doesn't happen because I don't feel like it is happening. Can I hear an amen? In other words, my will is not willing And I think in receiving from the Lord, part of what we need to do is say, Lord, make me willing. There's a whole thing that's going on with us and the Lord, and God is always the initiator. So in my relationship with God, I have to look to him and receive. Paul said, that which I received, I gave to you. As the Lord is working in our hearts, we can give what we've been given. We can't give what we have not received. So the examples that were given in the the book of Hebrews are not necessarily good examples, but God gives them to us to receive and understand this is what happens if you're not responding obediently. And so we have the warnings that come, up, come about. So we're, we're needing to respond to God. And it's not going to be most of the time how I feel. Can I hear an amen? amen? My flesh does not want to go the way of the Spirit. Paul said to the Galatians, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to the other so that you do not do the things that you want to do. Paul in Romans 7 wrestled with the same problem. I know what I want to do. My heart is directed toward God. I know in my mind I serve the law of God, he said in Romans 7. But with my flesh, he said the law of sin. So we're in a spiritual battle. And that battle is won when I'm receiving from the Lord and responding obediently. So I'm receiving, number one, the ministry of God's word. So the word of God, verse 14, the word of God is living and active, living and powerful. So the first ministry I need to receive in entering into this rest is the the ministry of of God's word. Secondly, I need to be receiving the ministry of God's son, which is verses 14 and 15. And then third, I need to be receiving the ministry, here it is, of God's what? Mercy and grace. So what God is doing in our relationship, he's giving us what we 
don't deserve, and he's not giving us what we deserve. That's mercy and grace. So I, I need to be a receiver from the Lord. Now, that is not selfish. That is spiritual. That is a spiritual relationship with God where he, he loves to see us receiving because he knows if we don't receive, neither will we grow. He is the one who is the husbandman, John 15, and we are the vine. So God is nurturing us in this relationship by giving to us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And then as we do obey, we have that part of that. Our part in that is obedience. So when we think of obedience as far as entering into that rest, it's the obedience of receiving and responding to God's word, to God's son, and to God's grace and mercy. Amen? So number one, believing. By the way, we're talking about rest. I love this little little uh, passage. It says in, verse, in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Now, there's a lot, you could, you could look at that two different ways. He that is God delights in his way or he that is the person delights in God's way. However you want to look at that. But the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. As God orders our steps, hey, it's fantastic what happens, okay? So Jesus said what? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, we are the ones that need to be receiving from God. First of all, though, believing. We are believing. We who are believing do enter his rest. So in verse 1, it says, Therefore... Since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel is preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who, what, heard it. Verse 3, for we who, again, have believed do enter, his, enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Here's the deal. As far as God's perspective on this rest, it has always been there. And that's what he's driving at. God, in the mind of God, his, this didn't surprise him. His rest remains. A promise remains. His promises are yea and amen in Christ. So this rest that we have, we, we, we need to believe in God's promise remains. He says, it's interesting to me, it says, for we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What? <laughs> Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, as far as God's plan, promises, and his, his means of working it out, it has always been there for, for, for us as his people. So we need to be those who are believing that it remains for me. Let's personalize it. Since a promise remains, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So Paul is saying us and you. He's saying you. And so in my mind, the first necessary thing in believing is to believe that that promise remains for you, for me. Personalize it. This is a promise God made. It's sure and steadfast, anchored in the veil, and it's for me. So believing it remains for you. Secondly, 
believing what was preached to you. He said the, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But what happened? The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So there has to be believing in what was preached to us. Now, Paul says, don't let anyone draw you away to a different gospel, which is not a different gospel at all. In other words, we've been given the gospel. It was preached to us. And how were we saved? How did we rest in God's provision for us? We believed. We believed that that promise was for us. We believed what was preached to us. Don't let go of it. Don't stop believing that. Number one, it remains for you. Secondly, believing what was preached to you, believing this good news. I, I hope I'm not, um, well, I'm not. It's the word of God, <laughs> okay? Basically, these are basics. And Paul said, I have a lot of things to say that are hard to understand, but you ought to be teachers, but you're not yet because you've become dull of hearing. And so he is saying, hey, Believe the simple things and let's go on. Let's go on. Let's go on. But here's the basic bottom line. A gospel is preached to us. We believed it. We were saved. And God rested us in his salvation, in his promise that my sins are forgiven. I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness. I've been justified by faith in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin, from hell, and from death for then, from then through all eternity. Now, we might say, well, when I finally believe, but God said I was saved from the foundation of the world. It's the same idea. God knows all things. It's not, it's not a surprise to him. So when I put myself in that place of believing, first of all, it's for me, and secondly, believing that what was preached was for me, hey, I start anchoring myself in God, in the gospel. I continue to believe that. Now, Satan wants to come along and rip us completely off of these kinds of things. He wants to get us, as in Hebrews, going back under the law, back under things that I'm doing rather than what God did. So I'm believing that in Christ, in Jesus Christ, that promise remains. And for God has been from the foundation of the world. A done deal in Christ. Believing this good news is for you. Believing this good news has always been for you. Okay? For we have believed to enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore my wrath, verse 3. They shall not enter rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. This promised rest, God's rest, has been there all the time. Now, we can't think in eternal terms. We're in a, a time dimension. We cannot get out of that. But as far as God's plan and purposes, they've always been there. The rest has always been there. So, what is this rest that the, talk, the, that the Hebrews writer is talking about? It's God's rest. It's his rest. We enter God's rest. We enter his rest. It's not the rest of a certain day of having to enter some special time. In fact, if you go through Genesis 1-5, God called the light day, darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the what? First day. Genesis 1-8, and God called the firmament of heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. 
he, uh, Genesis 1.13. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Genesis 1.31. Then God saw everything they had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Something interesting happens. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. The interesting thing that's missing is it didn't say an evening and morning with the seventh day. In other words, it's not a special day, a certain day that we're entering into, this rest. It's something that's been there and it's blessed. So that word there is the only time it's used in the New Testament is the Sabbath rest in which God rested from all his works. It's a completion. God sees it's already done. Now we're saying our salvation is the same thing. It's complete. It's finished. We enter into not a certain day, but we enter in a, into a certain dimension of eternal life in believing God's promises. And that's the place that we rest. So, had things gone as God would have desired, I'm not sure what it would have been like because it never was. <laughs> but what happened in the garden? Eve was deceived. She gave the fruit to Adam. Timothy tells us Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived. So uh, some interesting things there that we could talk about. But man sinned. And so that whole rest, creation, relationship, all of that was destroyed right there, brought down. God then came along with Christ and he, what, redeemed it and redeemed us and gave to us now another day, another way to enter into this special thing called the rest. Now, Jesus, when he came, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to what? Finish his work. Again, John chapter 5. I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. John again, 17, 4. I have glorified you on earth as Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And then on the cross, what did Jesus say? It is finished. So brothers and sisters in the Lord tonight, and if you're here tonight and you do not know the Lord, there is no rest for you. The only rest is found in entering into that place called eternal life. That relationship with God based on the work that Jesus completed on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and then through his sacrifice release the mercy of God to everyone who will what? Believe. We who are believing do enter that rest. We find there a place of salvation, believing that rest because God rests, it is finished. But Jesus was slain from when? The foundation of the world. So the thing that strikes me here is it's always been. This rest has always been as far as God's plan and purpose in our redemption. The same thing in creation. It's always been in God's mind. He knows all things. So it's the rest of salvation that believes the rest that God rests in that it is finished. Now, turn to Ephesians for a moment. I'd like to look at a couple passages starting in Ephesians and we'll work our way to the 
through a couple books here. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice, just as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. Wow. God, it's always been there. Go to Titus chapter 1. Titus 1. As as Paul is writing to his young uh, Titus, Titus 1.1, he says, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, interesting there, the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised when? Before time began, but as in due time manifests his word through preaching. So they heard the word, but it was not mixed with faith. It's the same idea. God has had this thing there in place all for, for all eternity, his plan. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 18, 1 Peter 1.18. Love these, just love the word of God. It's just wonderful. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your... Peter's saying, hey, you know, God, gold and silver are meaningless as far as God's concerned. He created all of it. So for God to redeem us with gold or silver would be totally meaningless. He could say Andromeda galaxy be gold and it would be gold just like that with his word. We were not redeemed with that. Notice, but he says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained when? Before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for who? For you who through him believe in God, ra- believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in who? God. God. You, get a, you get a feel for this? Go to Revelation, two more. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 and verse 8. Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written, will worship, will worship whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from when? Before the foundation of the world. I know you know these things. If you don't, I'm, I'm excited that they're new for you. But the idea is it's always been there, God's promise. What, what, we, what we're entering into is not something that came along because of problems God had. God planned that because of the problem that we have. And that is God wants us to rest. He wants us to know that it's complete. He wants us to know that salvation and redemption is ours through believing. We who are believing do enter his rest. One more, 17.8. Revelation 17.8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life. From when? The foundation of the world. Here's the deal. 
I hope tonight that we are believing what God has promised us because God promised it. It's complete. So when I start gravitating towards somehow, uh uh-oh, I've moved away from being what God wants me to be. So, and I think they're, they're, they're in, as we go through these warnings in Hebrews, there's that need to examine. I'm not saying that. There's that need to examine. But what are we examining? We're re- examining, first of all, are you believing it's for you? Do you believe God has had this thing in place for you from the foundation of the world that you were chosen in him before? I don't understand that stuff, but the Bible says that. And then the second part now in chapter four is now are you receiving are you receiving? And the three ministries are God's word, God's son, and God's mercy and grace. We are receiving the ministry of God's word. Notice verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. It almost sounds like a contradiction. It sounds like we must be diligent in doing something to enter his rest. No, first of all, remember, we are believing now are we receiving what we need to be diligent, to examine ourselves? You know, it's, it's like this. And I've told Brandon and my other guys the same thing. If you want to really enjoy an instrument, you know what you got to do? You got to practice. I hate practicing. How about you? But how do you get better at it? When we were in Nepal for five months, my main thing I'd say to the students there as we were teaching them English, here's the deal. Here's how you learn English. Practice, practice, practice. So there's this, in other words, we're, we're partnering with God in this thing called salvation. God gives to us his word. And in that, he's, he's working in us to will and do of what pleases him. We have to be responding to the word of God and then being diligent to practice. Are we going to get it right every time? (laughs) Hardly. But that's not the the, the measure of our salvation, being saved. What that's the measure of is our sanctification in Christ. So my salvation is not in question. What God is doing is he's working out my redemption, my sanctification. One day we will be glorified. God already sees us glorified. What that means is, we're, we're trying to examine that in Hebrews. I'm not sure what that means. But I do know the Bible says that I will be given according to the things that I've done, whether what, good or bad. So that's where it gets you shuddering a little bit. Okay, am I saved? Hold on a second. We are believing to enter his rest. Believing it was for me. It is for me. Believing that God has already seen that, knows it, and I can enter into that. Believing it's for me, it's for me now, it's always been for me. God has saved me, washed me, and I'm not, I'm not wondering about my salvation. What I'm caring about is my sanctification in order that when, I, when I'm done at the end of my life, I've done everything I can to live for Christ and that my life counts for eternity. Amen. Amen? So I'm not wasting my years. And believe me, there's not a believer in this room or someone who's serious about God that doesn't sit back and say, oh, like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. Because I know my heart. I know the things that go on in my heart. So the answer to that is Romans. Hebrews, we're looking at something different. But Romans, Paul tells us, this is how you live the life of the Spirit. There's two laws. 
the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of sin and death. There's two interests. There's the mind of the spirit. There's the mind of the flesh. So you have this battle going on as you go through Romans 8. That's walking in the spirit. Hebrews here is telling us, first of all, get, let's get this down. Believing and receiving. So we must be receiving. Notice he goes right into that and says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as discerner of the thoughts and intents of what? The heart. Jesus said to those who would say, well, you better not, wa- you better not eat unless you wash your hands. Jesus, <laughs> he threw that right out the window. He said, you know, it's not what, enter, what, en- what enters a man that defiles him. To eat with unwashed hands isn't going to defile. It's what comes out of the what? The heart that defiles so it's what's in my heart, and how do I know what's in my heart? Deceitful and wicked. And, how do I, and, and by the way, the next, the next verse from that says, I, the Lord, test the hearts. I test the minds to see what's going on and to give to each one. How do I know what's in my heart? There's only one way. It's the word of God. That's why last week as Paul was teaching, it just profoundly struck me, the simplicity of it. The word of God is huge. It all of a sudden it got bigger for me than it already is. So again, as I asked Sunday, I'll ask you tonight. Are you giving yourself to reading God? If nothing else, just read the Bible. Reading the word of God. Because the word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing the division of, of joints and marrow and of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now how does that work? I'm not really sure. But God said that's what it's doing. So when I'm giving myself to the word... You know the Bible is different than any other book you'll ever read, right? It's spiritual. God said man shall not live by bread alone. Of course we have to eat physically or we're going to perish. But by every what? Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We must be receiving the ministry of the word of God. And that ministry is it's discerning our motivations. It's showing us our hearts. And what I find is... It's, as my wife says, Charlotte says, it's not what I don't understand that bothers me. It's what I do understand. And the Holy Spirit, I have found, have you not also, that God is faithful to warn us. That we know, we know that we know. And when I'm being disobedient, it's usually not because I've fallen into something, but rather I've walked into it. How am I, what does Psalm 119 say? How shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it's so, brothers and sisters, if I could could just give to you what burdens me in a good way, I have to stay diligent in the word of God. I've got to be diligent to give myself to reading it, to studying it, to listening to Bible studies. I don't, and by the way, we have a lot of that, don't we? We're, We're immersed in it. Sometimes that can be a little detrimental because you think because you know the word, you know the word. (laughs) That's not what Jesus said. To know the word is to obey the word. To build on a foundation is to hear what I've said and then do something about it. Amen? So, again, the context here is they didn't enter in because of unbelief and disobedience to what? The word of God. So, first of all, we need to receive the ministry of the word of God. Secondly, receiving the ministry of God's Son. Notice, and, we're, and 
Uh, Lowell has our next one coming up, the high, our high priest. And that's, we'll spend a lot of time talking about our great high priest. But notice verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. So the ministry of the word, now what we need is that mediator between us and God. And the things that are going on in our hearts. And the things that, are, that we see and are discerning. Because it can get pretty discouraging. Can I hear an Amen. You see what's going on in your heart. You think, oh, man, there I go again. There's that wretchedness. There's that flesh. How do I overcome this? The word of God, and now we need the mediator, our great high priest, who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, well, we'll get that in a minute. Hey, Jesus understands that. He never sinned. Well, he understands me. Hey, have you ever resisted sin until it was gone? I mean, I can resist and I do resist in many, many ways. But then there's those areas where my resistance, and, and once you give into it, it sort of like relieves it for a little bit and then you got to deal with the rest of it. Jesus never sinned. He went through those temptations. He went through the cross, all of that. And there was never sin in his mind and heart. He was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. When the devil came to Jesus and tempted him, what was Jesus' sword? It is written. The word of God. He now becomes our great high priest who understands our weaknesses. That's what the Bible tells us. We know he was as much human as though he weren't God, as much God as, as if he wasn't human. He submitted himself to his father in obedience, complete obedience. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. King James says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. In other words, he never disobeyed. Through it all, he was perfectly righteous. Different than all others, and yet we, he, he understands it. So when we come to our great high priest, and we'll talk more about this in chapter 5, he, every priest is appointed by God for men to make uh, sacrifices for men. Jesus is the sacrifice, and now he mediates. He understands all these things. So we need to come and receive the ministry of God's high priest. Amen? Just like they did in Israel. Like they came to the high priest, the mediator. And then finally, we who are receiving the ministry of God's. This is what happens when we come to the throne of grace, brothers and sisters in the Lord. With all the things that we're going to be examining in Hebrews, we come to a throne of grace. And he doesn't say, you know, come timidly. You know, come if you, you know, it might be that God, you know, no, he says, let us therefore. Why? Because we have a great high priest. We have the word of God that God is using to examine us and show us and lead us. We have the word of God. We have our great high priest. And now we have that throne of grace. And when I come there, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. You know what? This has revolutionized my prayer life. And I hope yours too. This passage, this verse tells me it does not matter what's going on in the sense that I have a great high priest and I have a throne of grace that I can come to and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of what? When I'm really strong. I'm really, no, no, I come there because I'm not strong. I come because I'm, I'm flailing along sometimes. So are you with me? This rest is ours. It's always been there for us. God established it from the foundation of the world. 
that he would, yes, create the world. He created man. Man sinned. And thus this whole thing of redemption in God's plan from all eternity was ours to enter into. It didn't just kind of get added because something happened. It was there all the time, and it's there for us. We who are believing his promise, believing the gospel, believing it's for me, believing it remains for me no matter what, and then receiving the ministry of the word of God. Receiving the ministry of, our, of God's son, our great high priest. How? Going boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Mercy is what? Not getting what I deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve eternal punishment. And find grace. You know, I find that a lot of times I got to go find it. It's there. But I got to work through some things where I would actually be a receiver of something that I do not deserve. That's grace. God will be gracious to me again. Does that ever break your heart? You know, it's so many times. It's not God said, well, you know what? Sorry, pal. One too many times, you're out. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul found that grace over and over again. He said, hey, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I think that's what God's doing for all of us. We realize, you know, but by the grace of God, there go I. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. I love your word. We love your word. And Lord, we bring to you this this chapter we bring to you our lives tonight. And we thank you that this rest that you have for us is complete. It's salvation for all who believe. The gospel being mixed with faith does something for us. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to continue to press on in believing, to be diligent to enter that rest, to continue to practice, practice, move on, move on with you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus is son of God. Let us, Lord, we will hold fast our confession. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So, Lord, we rest in you tonight. We thank you for that throne of grace. And Lord, we pray that you bless our time before it tonight in prayer. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So any, anything...